Welcome to the Transport Hub Podcast, a podcast series created by the Transport Research Hub at University College Dublin. I am your host, Porik Carroll. This podcast series seeks to disseminate research, industry innovations, and policy in the area of transportation and mobility. Okay, hello and welcome to the Transport Hub Podcast. I'm joined by Deirdre Devalish from Dingle Hub. And we're currently overlooking Dingle Harbour at the moment in the fabulous setting of, of Dingle in County Kerry. Delighted to be joined by Deirdre, who is the Dingle Hub Manager. So just to provide a bit of an introduction to Deirdre before I let a hand over to her. Um, so Deirdre's key focus is to build a sustainable community by fostering an ecosystem that supports the creation of enterprise and employment on the Dingle Peninsula. To execute this goal, she drives multiple projects which address the community's transition to a low-carbon society. And these include the development of sustainable transport initiatives and the investigation of anaerobic digestion solutions to address climate change. So for today's discussion, it will focus on transport, but we will touch on other things such as energy, I believe. So um, thank you very much, Deirdre, for, for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Porik. Uh, delighted to have a chat to you today. Yeah, so maybe if you just start by uh, talking a bit about your role in, in Dingle Hub. Um, I started in the role in Dingle Hub in 2018. I'm from Dingle originally. I moved back here in 2012 after a lot of years living in Cork, actually. Um, And I came back here and the role in the Dingle Hub became available to to manage it. Uh, It was very attractive uh, to me because I I grew up in a generation down here where it was really ingrained in us to to leave, to go get an education and and to keep going, that there was nothing here for us on the peninsula to to come back to. Um, And the hub being established, I suppose, with the objective of supporting people who wanted to build their careers from here, um, I saw a way maybe to potentially help to change that narrative and have a different future for the area. And it was established because um, of, I suppose, our young people leaving and an, an aging population of the town. We were the second oldest town in Ireland, uh, I believe. So uh, that motivated me. And also I have an engineering background um, and at the same time, the SB Network Stingle project was starting here and they uh, were looking at uh, the tech grid, the grid of the future and the technologies that would be u- widespread, uh, used in a widespread way and how they would design the grid of the future around that. So that really appealed to my engineering nature as well. Um, and yes, I, I started in that role. Uh, essentially to manage the hub space, which provides desks and offices and fast, reliable broadband for people. Um, But back, I suppose, in 2018, we were trying we were striving for opportunities to diversify employment on the peninsula and we knew that just providing maybe the the physical infrastructure was never going to be enough we we needed to do more than that um and looking at the direction you know that we were going in the future we decided to um initiate projects in the areas of sustainability the digital transformation and the creative industries with the aim i suppose of building an ecosystem where, you know, new employment opportunities could, you know, emerge and survive and thrive in that ecosystem. And that's been keeping us quite busy here for the for the past number of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So during that time, obviously, Dingle Hub has gotten a very good name. Uh, and I suppose 
for for those who aren't familiar with Dingle Hub, uh, um, how did how did it originally start? How was it initiated? Um, uh, maybe you might tell us a bit about that first. Yeah, um, a group of of local people, local business people, got together and they saw the opportunity. You know, it was as a real game changer for rural Ireland uh, to be able to have access to fast, reliable broadband. Um, they approached Air. Um, who sponsored, I suppose, a one gigabit fibre line into the building here. Um, a local businessman um, uh, who is, whose business NetFasa is uh, situated in the hub gave us the use of the premises. So they, they pulled in a lot of support and established the hub. And that was back in 2017. Um, and then they applied to Enterprise Ireland um, for funding for a manager and that came online in 2018 and I was hired through that process. So we very much have a focus on um, on economic development and having an economic impact here, but doing that in a way that looks uh, through a sustainability lens to do it. Um, and that then, I suppose, set us looking at, well, what are the two, what are our assets here on the peninsula? And that is you know, we have a huge tourism market. You know, it's a very wide, well-known brand, Dingle. For tourism, it attracts a lot of people. We have a population of just nearly 13,000 here, but visitors in excess of 1 million annually. That provides a lot of opportunity. There's challenges with it as well, but mostly opportunity. And then our other um, large uh, industry would be agriculture here. So it's looking at both of those and trying to, you know, explore with the people in those industries what are the ways forward for the future mm -hmm. so you mentioned there agriculture energy tourism and, and transport so if you maybe look at transport first what what role does transport do you feel play in supporting the local economy um particularly in and also overlapping with tourism i suppose so tourism and transport obviously come hand in hand and you mentioned there like up to one million people uh, the population grows that during the, the, the busy months so yeah, maybe on, on transport, how does that feature? Yeah. Um, one of the first projects that we undertook was an energy master plan for the peninsula. And that showed us that 54% of our energy use on the peninsula was uh, transport, was from transport, which is not surprising, really. We're a remote rural area. We're very dependent on the private car here. And when we started back in 2018, I suppose we had relatively poor provision of public transport services here. So that set us off on a path of looking at what were the viable options for the area here and uh, Yes, it was. It's important to give the local people viable options or alternative options to private car use. But at the same time, those services need to consider that you know seasonality of our population too, and the demand for it. And what has emerged from that, I suppose, is from early engagement back in 2019 with um, Local Link Kerry to establish new bus services here on the peninsula. And we can see that having a very significant impact uh, on local people. Um, there are socioeconomic benefits in that businesses that are on those routes, uh, all their staff can get to work um, tr through that. Um, it's addressing social isolation here on the peninsula. Um, it, it really, and then I suppose when you look at the tourism perspective, it's an enhanced tourist experience to be able to take those local link services on a route west of Dingle um, on, an, on a road that, you know, might be narrow for them to, to travel and drive. And there's a level of independence on it. And the services are frequent. They run um, seven times a week, eight times a day. 
Um, and so they're very usable and they have been really embraced by the community. So that and then when we look at sustainability initiatives, the one thing that everyone can relate to is transport. It's very, very visible. When those local link services came online, they were a huge talking point for people here. We can work with people at, to help them understand that their decisions to take a bus instead of the car actually has longer term impact uh, in a very beneficial way for the environment. So from the point of view of engaging with the community around sustainability, transport is a very visible uh, one that everyone can relate to. And, and that makes sense. We were we were lucky enough to have a, an electric vehicle trial here on the peninsula as well. Um, and those cars were branded. And they were very visible. And, you know, for the trial participants, we couldn't come out of the shop, but there'd be a few people standing next to the cars eager to ask questions and understand more. And I suppose one of the big points was people didn't really understand the range of the cars. Now, they thought it was sub 100 kilometers, whereas the cars that we had were um, greater than 400 kilometer range. So you begin to see that on a day to day basis, they're very usable, particularly in an area like this. That all sounds fantastic, uh, particularly not just looking at public transport, but the, the private uh, electric vehicles as well. So for, for local languages, you know, a rural transport service, um, uh, have you seen a, a real modal shift or uh, since its introduction? Or is it really only certain cohorts of society that are, are using it? Uh, like, have you any maybe analysis or any kind of feedback you've received that would that would support any of those kind of um, assumptions? Anecdotally or, or on a day to day basis, I can see the dem different demographics um, using uh, using these bus services. And it has, you know, it has, I suppose, had a, uh, an image in the past of being a bus for old people. And it, it, it we are seeing now that the young people are using it for sport. Uh, we are seeing that people are using it for leisure to go back, have dinner in a beautiful area uh, on the West here. Um, and these would be uh, visitors, maybe people who have um, holiday homes here using it who might never use the bus services. So we are seeing that. And then through other projects where we, we we'd have captured, uh, I suppose, um, evidence from people, you know, we have significant testimonials to say that seeing others use the bus has changed mindsets and changed attitudes uh, for it. So we have we've captured that, um, I suppose, analysis on it. Uh, and that's that's very gratifying to see. And that's has a knock on effect in a building of momentum, because once you see one person using it, you start to identify with it yourself and say, yes, I could use that. We have heard from um, say in particular retired couples that it is an enabler to drop the second car in a household to, to have that backup service available for that. Um, so that's very important. And that's what we're trying to do is build on that, understand the way people are thinking and they're moving. And as the numbers on the service are showing that it, it, the take up has been huge, really, so much so that we're getting additional services now. And I do really feel that people here no longer see it as for the, for the, for the older people or for I remember when I started using it myself first, people went to 
went out of their way to offer me lifts because for goodness sake, you can't be going on the bus. And there, there, it really has been a, a mindset change here because people are enjoying it. Uh, it's a good social experience. It's a place where people get to come in and meet their neighbours. It's far more sociable than travelling on your own in the car in and out of town. So that momentum is happening here and it's really great to see. So as you touch on my next question, which is really kind of looking at social inclusion and how addressing issues of rural isolation and um, the social aspect of this is, is really important to that. Uh, people for all, of all ages, from sports clubs to you know local um, bingo clubs, for example, and, and, and addressing access to vital amenities and service and uh, facilities. So, based on the anecdotal evidence that you've received, uh, has that made a big impact in terms of addressing? social exclusion issues in, in, in this community? Yeah, we do. We've gathered testimonials from people and, and several, there are several testimonials that say they, you know, had looked at maybe selling up their, their homes where they were maybe around family and around friends and where they were all their lives and maybe moving into a more urban setting. And because of the bus now, that has changed that complete. They can make different life decisions. That's an important aspect, particularly in the Gaeltacht areas, because these people might be further west on the peninsula. They might be Gaelgori and having to to make that move. Um, so that has changed people's decisions on that, having the provision of this service. But yes, we can see we can see it that, you know, that piece where you go on and there is a camaraderie with the, the bus drivers on there. It's very it is very social and it is addressing that. Mm-hmm. And then moving kind of more towards active mobility. So walking and cycling and um, obviously that's a big part of the promotional activities that Dingle Hub are part of. And maybe you could t- touch on some of those um initiatives uh, looking at walking and cycling yes so here in the peninsula we have small narrow roads um they're generally relatively uncongested but with that seasonality effect during july and august you could have quite an amount of traffic both from private vehicles and from coach buses visiting so for us you know the space isn't there on a lot of roads maybe to add cycle lanes or cycle paths it's it's really about finding the ways that we can safely share the roads or that all road users can do that. And that's what we're trying to explore here as we look at, you know, the different areas on the peninsula and look at the different roads and see how can we enable our kids to get back on the roads, to cycle to school, to, to cycle to their football training, like I used to be able to do, you know, a generation ago. We could do it then because there were less cars on the road and it's just been a, a vicious cycle, I suppose, in the last 30 years. So how can we get some bit of that back? And it's about building understanding and awareness, understanding between, say, um, Uh, cyclists and and motorists and how do we do that and how do we get that messaging across we know that signs don't necessarily you know create understanding or behavior change or anything like that Um, so it really it really is to say there is a there is an area just outside of the town here as you go west all come together maybe all modes of transport come together before they can separate off into safer roads so how do we make that area just that little bit safer for all users to share it together but i firmly believe it is about you know the right way to share the roads here and and how can we manage that i don't see large infrastructural projects that will widen the roads and give us cycle lanes 
Um, but how, ca- how can we enable our kids to, to get back on those bikes to school, which has health benefits into the future is a yeah, very significant. Uh, is there an appetite from, you know, not just families or parents, uh, commuters, for example, and and those maybe who are retired who, who want to cycle, but f- feel it's, it's too unsafe to do that? I, I mean, uh, is there kind of a movement there from those kind of cohorts inside that, that want to get involved in kind of advocacy um, in, in this area? The most active advocacy I can see is really coming from parents. Uh, I think a lot of the initiatives have been parent led, parent driven, looking towards I suppose not just the travel or sustainable mobility or anything, but pro- looking at the health benefits for their children into the future. Um, certainly, certainly there are people in, in different demographics, but overridingly, it, it does seem to be driven by parents here. Mm-hmm. So, so then this leads me to my next point, which is the, the Dingle Peninsula Bike Week, which took place um, from the 13th to the 21st of May, um, which uh, from what I've heard it has, was a resounding success. Um, so uh, do you see this as being quite different to maybe a, a bike week in an urban area and how would that how would you, uh, what differences be explained there and how would you approach this it was our first ever bike week and gathering together of a, a number of events um, so it was it was great to see the appetite out there for those events um, there was a wonderful um, cycle community cycle uh, where I think there was over 30 participants. Again, a lot of parents, a lot of young kids, um, a cycle of the town just to say, hey, we're here, we're, we're using the road and a cycle about seven kilometers west. All right. Which, as I mentioned, that um, that 500 meters, that is a little bit tricky. You'd have your heart in your mouth taking the child on the road onto a very, very safe road for the rest of the cycle and, and very enjoyable. Um, so. What that that week, I suppose, was our first. Would it be very different to urban areas? I don't really have an experience of that. I know that it, it it's quite easy to work here locally. You know, it's organizing an event can be as much as sending it out to a number of your WhatsApp groups to say, hey, we're doing this on Saturday. That might be a little trickier in urban areas. But then if you have small communities in urban areas you can do that it's it's about having a community that you can reach out to and have that defined and know and when you can do that you can bring people together and do events um we did have a cycle over the connor pass uh, as well which uh, uh, during bike week and then the cycle bus to school both it happened in dingle town and it also happened in an area called castle gregory uh, again very very parent parent led and some tricky areas, tricky junctions to navigate. So the parents who, who took it on, it, a little bit of stress involved with it. Am I doing the right thing with my kids here? You know, um, are they safe? Is it manageable? But an overriding desire to say we have to make this work. You know, it, it might feel a little bit iffy now, but we have to make this the norm. We have to get other road users to understand that this will happen on a regular basis. And how are we going to do that? And put, But totally understandably, like a, a little bit of nervousness at the back of everything going, God, I'm not using my child as a guinea pig or anything, but it's just, you know, if anything happens, is it is it the right thing to do? It ultimately is the right thing to do because these are the next generation of adults who have to build up 
you know, active habits into the future and giving your child that is probably the most important thing you can do. So we have to push those boundaries and we have to find the ways to make it work. Mm-hmm. So then kind of looking on a more on a higher level um, from a top down perspective in terms of gauging with national policymakers, how is that being? Have you seen a kind of a shift in, in recent years or in the past uh, decade, for example, on, on this on these issues of transport provision in rural areas? Um, and, uh, you know, what is your assessment of the, the current state of play there? I suppose getting the the history of the local link um, services and understanding, you know, that different recessions might have drawn funding out of it and uh, and the different ways. It does seem like that in the last um, few years, in, in recent years, that the structure being given to them and now the funding and resources being made available, that's a, that's a big change. You know, they're in operation for 30 years now and it's probably really in the last five that they've been able to to fly and provide the services that they're doing. And now we're seeing the benefits of that. So certainly there has been a huge change um, in all of that. And it does seem, you know, the policy to support locally, we're certainly reaping the benefits. It it seems to have been the right decision. Most certainly it has to be the right decision. We have to get these modal shifts. We have to achieve them. But we're well on the way. And I understand you have a number of projects in in which you're engaging with research uh, institutes in Ireland. could you maybe just uh, maybe give a flavour of what those projects are about? So an, a number of projects then, I suppose we look at um, agriculture and we look at what are the solutions for that. We would have um, a, a group of dairy farmers who would have come together to look at their energy use. Um, and that is uh, the West Kerry Dairy Farmers Sustainable Energy Community. They're out for a tender now. There's 130 members in there. They're out for tender for 60 of them to install solar PVs on their farms, a collective tender. Uh, the next measure for them would be heat exchangers. So that was supported by an energy master plan by Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland. And then the researchers from MARI, the Marine and Renewable Energy Institute, would have been involved assessing the those initiatives and taking a look at what's working and what isn't working and pulling together policy briefs that we can feed to policymakers when we when we learn what can happen. Um, that sustainable energy community um, came about from a farmer who uh, had a real interest in energy. He was involved with the ESB Networks project, an ambassador for them. He undertook a community energy mentor course that was um, Uh, funded by Kerry Education and Training Board. And uh, through that course, he learned about sustainable energy communities and he could see that farmers are coming under increasing pressure and wanted to just try and get out ahead of this and see what could they do that's in a positive way. Uh, And it was through that then that he kind of said, well, could we not come together as a community? So traditionally, I suppose the sustainable energy communities are geographically based. They said, could could the dairy farmers come together as a community? And what we saw with that one was that they had a common language. So and they had a set of common needs and then it was common measures that came out of it. So in a traditional, say, sustainable energy community, you might have the 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 community hall uh, and you might have uh, some retail outlets and some domestic outlets that's all varied. So that came together 
very well in that we can see now that they all need a certain amount of solar PV. A large group of them need heat exchangers. We can go out to tender. They've got collective buying power to do that. So you can really start to have an impact on that. Um, we're also looking at anaerobic digestion um, for uh, the peninsula because it does not just for the production of energy. We we're very far away from the gas grid. We're over 70 kilometers from the nearest gas grid in um, Listole. So for us, it's about uh, the viability of small farms. You know, you might use feedstocks such as slurry and um, and grass in a in a digester. Um, if you have contracts to produce ga- grass on farms, they're stable contracts that, you you know, you can make investments in or plan for the future. And what you don't want to do is, I suppose, drive intensification of grass growing just to produce energy. But it's a very circular system because you can take the digestate that's produced to put back on the land to grow the grass. It would also capture the ammonia emissions from slurry, which might they might not be captured in our emissions inventory, but they still need to be dealt with. Um, it also provides a solution for farm to fork solutions here, which we're very interested in. As I said, we have a huge tourism market. You know, we want to sustain our small farms here on the peninsula. We can surely get higher value for their product by getting direct into that tourism market. But there's a lot of barriers around that because we've gone in a different direction completely. So it's like turning the Titanic almost to, to get back. We used to have seven I think abattoirs in the peninsula at once we now have none and we're down to one butcher so we've gone very far in the other direction but if you had an anaerobic digester it could digest um, the offal from animals here on the peninsula which is an issue it can be cost prohibitive to try and uh, deal with that offal without something like that Um, but then we see if we're so far away from the gas grid we could use this um, biomethane produced as a transport fuel here on the peninsula because those farmers, when they did their energy master plan, a hundred of them were using 750,000 worth of subvented agri-diesel per annum, which gave everyone a little bit of a gasp because that wasn't even contractors or anything. So straight away there, there is a large market for biomethane if those tractors were, were converted to biomethane. It's not just that. I suppose we have a lot of boats here that do tourist um, trips daily. They're on subvented marine diesel. You know, if they could be dual fuel converted to have biomethane. So we look at it in a very holistic way for anaerobic digestion. And that's one of the ones that we really the project that ties a whole pile together for us. I think those are great examples of of community based climate action. And clearly there seems to be a real community spirit uh, amongst different sectors or different um, areas of the economy obviously agriculture being a key one uh, alongside transport and it's clear to see the the linkages there between between the two of them so they're kind of moving towards the existing challenges that you might experience so in terms of rural mobility and also energy maybe what what do you see as being the main challenges going forward i suppose well it has been you know Building on the success of the local link, the provision of those services, we're looking around and we're saying, well, what can help people to take the decision maybe to reduce their private car use or even eliminate a car in a household? And it's a full suite of solutions is what we see. Yes, you need the provision of the public transport. You need the safe route so you can walk or cycle where possible. Um, But you also need probably to be able to access uh, a shared mobility 
service. So to be able to rent a car as needed, I really see that as, uh, you know, you put all those solutions together for people um, and now all of a sudden they have viable alternatives. You only just have to rent a car as you need. We know how expensive cars are at the moment. You don't have to worry about maintenance, tax, insurance, you know, you just as needed. And of course, if there isn't a car outside the door, then you make use of the other solutions. If the car is outside the door, it's always your first port of call. So having that full suite of solutions, that's what our Pathfinder is really looking at. Can we provide these on the peninsula to enable people to consider other ways than the than the the private car use? But I suppose the biggest challenge to that is that private car use is so ingrained in us. You know, you look at the town and we give up so much space to the private car. Beautiful space I see here over by our marina is a big car park. You know, we really give it front and centre in all areas and towns around. So the biggest challenge, I suppose, will be building an understanding and a desire to change that. I, how we actually get to that it's 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 bit by bit here building building understanding but we we're a long way off you know an acceptance of removal of of the private and i'm not saying we'd be fully removing private cars at all but it's when the behavior is ingrained it's going to be incredibly difficult to to make that shift but the first step is to provide the solutions and those who want to will make those changes and then as i said what we've noticed here is a building of a momentum you know as it becomes more so normalized for people they feel that they they can do do similar um on the energy side we would love to have a community-owned energy project here but if we look at the grid infrastructure onto the peninsula I, i've been up to a wonderful group in um, offaly green offaly and i look around and go oh god you're so lucky to be in the center of the country with all this grid infrastructure so you can do a project you know that would be community-owned energy and get all the benefits of that uh, we, we can't have wind on the peninsula here it's it's not in the county development plan um, I, and I don't think we'd want maybe the peninsula blanketed in wind turbines either but that said I think our tourists who will come in the future would much rather see a wind turbine to, than to see us you know coming in in big diesel buses and, and trucks and, and all that so you know there is a, there is a balance there but uh, we don't have the infrastructure really to do that at the moment which is another reason that has pointed us in the direction of anaerobic digestion if we did want have community-owned energy the production of biomethane and then its use as a transport fuel is the more viable option for us at the moment so they're probably the two big big challenges even as we look at um EV charging for our visitors as well and the grid infrastructure required to support that it's and we're working through there's some quite innovative solutions out there that we are looking at which uh, which would be great if we could implement them so yeah so speaking of innovative solutions so you touched on earlier on the idea of car shedding and reducing car ownership and and also the potential for local link to perhaps either diversify or services that could link up with local link and are there plans to look at mobility hubs or I know Localink also offer a demand response transport service, but, um, you know, just I'd be interested to know more of the plans in terms of integration of other modes. 
Um, listening to local link, one of the things that we're trying to figure out there, or, or the local link people are trying to figure out there, if if we want multimodal transport, how can the buses cater for bikes as well? Now I know there's issues around insurance with that, and you know getting them on in a way that doesn't you know impact on the driving of the bus but I'm sure those solutions are out there we can see them implemented in other countries so it would be great to break ground on that we we also it rains a lot here and it's quite wet and wild so for people to really effectively use this service we do need bus shelters and we'd be our plans would be to try and drive it in that direction that we could get bus shelters we would also need to be able to access um real-time information on the bus and I'm not talking about the ticker tape that you see in urban areas but even if on our mobile phones because we know that the information exists the data has been pulled in already that if I'm out in Ventry I can see oh I've just missed that bus no point going down there and standing in the rain now so that kind of information I, I don't think we're very far away from that at all but that will all enable people to build it into their daily lives we um, work um, very closely with Fall to Ireland as well being a strong tourism destination so you know there's opportunities for them there perhaps around bus shelters they're, they're great communication tools for people uh, as well and you know even working with our artists could they be designed I, I don't know because I know they're standard you know ways of building and it'll cost more if you do it but what what can we do on the peninsula here? I suppose we have an opportunity now if those shelters aren't there. And then to go a step further to look at e-mobility hubs. So where the buses stop, can you uh, pick up a bike there? You know, I think I really think Dingle Town in the summertime is very suited for scooting around on, on a bike instead of your car. It's quite frustrating to drive it around it in the summertime. Um, but if you could pick up a bike when you get in off the bus, and run around and do the things that you need to do and get back to the bus again. It, it works. Um, if in those e-mobility hubs you had access to a car that you can rent as well. I mean, that allows you to pop in on the bus, grab a car, go where you need to, maybe for the day or the weekend and come back. So they're definitely a part of the solution. And we have a feasibility study completed with Fall to Ireland and what might be possible for here. So the next step would be to take that out, uh, I guess, and consult uh, more broadly. We consulted with a, a number of uh, community members in the different areas at that time, but to take it, take it broader and see, see what people people think of that so could, i mean if that is realized could that maybe lead to something like a rural mobility as a service type idea or something along the line uh, kind of moving towards that at least i think at least it would pave the way for it because people could begin to understand the model then that oh i, I can just rent a car if i need it and i think particularly for our young people if you sat them down and did uh, you know a cost analysis of owning a car versus picking one up as you need to you could still get that rite of passage that independence by just renting uh, as you need you do you really need to have it sitting outside your door and paying for that i know there is a strong appetite and i completely understand the desire for independence at that age but can we provide that independence in another way so so going forward then do you see the future as being you know, are you you know, optimistic about where things are going in terms of rural mobility, generally speaking, or what's your outlook going forward now? When I look at the take up on the local link services, that 
makes me very, very optimistic. We, um, the Northeast West Kerry Development carried out a socioeconomic plan. And the overriding response to that is people were very much in favour of using public transport and alternative modes of travel. So I think people are open to it. I think it's about finding the right solutions and providing them for people. Um, so that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to explore what are the right solutions for this area here that people uh, will accept and, and that they want. So I'm optimistic in that I think the appetite, I, it's proven by the local link service numbers that the appetite is there for it. And I'm coming back around like full circle. So we started talking about, you know, how transport uh, and what Dingle Hub are doing, it really kind of is helping to boost the, the local economy. And in terms of night services and off-peak services and looking at the non-traditional uh, nine-to-five uh, service provision, do you think that more could be done there? Or what's your assessment of that in terms of supporting people for perhaps they're working antisocial hours in, in restaurants and, and, and bars and things like that? Um, do you feel that there's a sufficient number of services o- operating now or is there, are there plans for more going forward? When we started with the new services from Localink, one of the things was that the... Uh, hospitality sector in town their staff couldn't get home in the evenings because there wasn't a bus if they were living and Dingle Town struggles with accommodation as well so staff couldn't stay in the town but when we took um, the bus air and were providing a service two days a week west of Dingle when they were able to take uh, those resources off that route which Local Link then filled in they were able to put those services on the Dingle Tralee route, which now we have buses running up to 11 o'clock at night. And I, I'm telling people who are living 20 kilometres, they said, what? You mean I could go in to Dingle and have a meal and come back out? And I said, absolutely. The services are now there. So we are quite well provided for There's 10 services a day between Dingle and Tralee now, um, which is quite good. I know that we are to get two electric buses, which would be brilliant, the first electric local link buses on those service. But with the services, the plans for the services are to increase them. There will be a slightly later bus on Friday and Saturday nights and the Sunday services will go up to full service, um, which is fantastic. And then you are into the territory. They will explain to me that, you know, you can't cross over maybe into the taxi area as well and the private operators area. So there's a fine line to be drawn. So at the moment, I think with these new plans in place, we, we are quite well served. So perhaps like there's a part to play there for Hackney services and on-demand taxi services. OK, one other thing then, um, so you mentioned trialling electric vehicles here in Dingle Hub. And of course, there are particular needs for electric, for electric vehicles or any type of uh, private vehicle in very isolated areas where there are no uh, public transport services or it's inaccessible. So. Uh, do you feel that more support or m- there should be more targeted event interventions for, for those living in rural areas for, for in terms of the, the rollout of electric vehicles in Ireland and in this area? Uh, have you seen challenges in terms of the uptake of electric vehicles uh, based on the experience of this trial? From the trial, there were 15 uh, of us got to trial for a whole year. And then there was two other vehicles that people got to trial for a month. Uh, now, it was in the middle of COVID, so we didn't exactly get 24 extra people. But out of that, there uh, 10 people have purchased an electric vehicle because what we saw was range anxiety completely disappeared over the course of the year. Yes, they are 
very, very expensive. And my father still doesn't understand that I have invested in one. He, I, I'm not sure he can speak to me about it. But in in my head, like I'm not going to the diesel pump, but the monthly payment for that, you know, is more than compensated by the fact that I'm charging off the grid, sometimes off my solar PVs. Um, so in that way, I suppose that's how maybe a lot of the users who have invested in it are gone. Well, my goodness, like it, it would actually cost me more on a monthly basis to be running a, a diesel car. I might never own it. I don't know if I can ever pay that much money um, out for, for a car. But for a month on a monthly basis, yeah, it, I mean, it makes a lot of financial sense that way. Yeah. But traditionally, I would have been the type of person who would buy a very low cost vehicle and run it into the ground, have minimum payments. But my payments at the diesel pump were getting higher and higher. I suppose the the ownership and uh, characteristics of, of EV ownership is very different to, you know, built up urban areas where there's terraced housing or there's people who don't have driveways, of course. So that's perhaps not as, as much of an issue in rural areas. But are there also different types of um, challenges associated with EV charging? Um, that, that are being experienced in, in rural areas in your experience? Um, I suppose when, once you have the charger at home, it's generally all you need because your daily trips are, are going to be taken care of by that. Um, here it's more catering for our visitors and making sure that we have sufficient charging infrastructure for them. Uh, we may look at a pilot project of airbnb some of the driveways just to you know let people know that there are quite a number of home chargers here and it is possible to give people a sense of comfort if they are traveling to dingle because anecdotally again we have heard you know people making decisions that if you're traveling from dublin on an ev it might be easier to go to galway for the weekend than to try and get down to dingle um so it's that but i mean the tourism industry are very much on top of that and looking at solutions for that but yeah in the interim as i said the grid infrastructure is is won't support you know 10 high charge <laughs> high power chargers here on the peninsula so in the interim as we're trying to build that out the 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 potential to rent out your driveway space for those who have home chargers it may be an option and we will work with the department of transport to explore that option and see what it looks like mm, that's really interesting yeah and i think that possibly is the future to supplement the you know the lack of uh, on street on street public charging for for tourists absolutely yeah okay well uh, do you have any final comments to make maybe in terms of sustainable mobility and what you're doing or would you like the listeners to know about anything else um, that dingle hub are doing it, it is a really important one for us as i said it ties a lot together it's very visible for people people understand it um in terms of looking at sustainability into the future if we're working on pieces around farm to fork it's more behind the scenes so it is great to have the sustainable mobility one to to engage people um, but it is about looking at things in a very holistic way we didn't start off with this plan but we found oh let's look at our energy use and yes we need to tackle transport and yes we need to work with our agricultural sector and then that just spawned other projects as you found everything was interrelated really and every person that we're working with has to travel around the peninsula in some way shape or form well thanks very much Deirdre for your time um it's been really eye-opening the work that you're doing and those who are interested please check out uh, dinglehub.com there's a lot of supplementary information on their website but um yeah i'd just like to thank you again and uh yeah, best luck with various initiatives you're involved in thanks very much Paul.